This is Voices of Hunger in North Carolina, presented by the North Carolina Alliance for Health and Moms Rising. So today I'm interviewing Dr. Mary Haskett and Sarah Wright, who both work at NC State and serve as co-chairs on the steering committee for student housing and food insecurity. Hi, Sarah and Mary. Hello. So recently, um, they I recommended Diana, a first-generation college student who we interviewed on a previous podcast, and we received some follow-up questions from our listeners about um, why it was so difficult for students to access housing and food, and uh, people were surprised to hear about that. So we just wanted to dive a little deeper into that with both of you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being on. And why don't we start out, uh, why don't you share a little bit about what Feed the Pack Essentials is and what you all do and what NC State has been doing uh, to support students facing housing and food insecurity during the pandemic. Um, so, oh yeah, you can hear me. Sorry about that. So this is um, Sarah, right? And so for two and a half, three years, um, and Mary can correct me, is that we've been working as a PAC Essential Steering Committee, um, which is a group of faculty, staff, community members who are volunteering their time, efforts, expertise to address student basic needs. Um, and so that includes food, housing, access to health care, um, et cetera. Um, and so then when the, this, from that work and in conjunction with that work, the university um, had expanded their resources for students. So they expanded to emergency aid where a student can receive uh, $500 uh, for one time uh, while they're a student at NC State. They expanded the food pantry on campus. So now that it, it's um, hosted in one of our campus convenience stores that has uh, fresh produce in addition to dry goods, um, et cetera. And the student government started a meal share program where students um, are able to donate their guest meals. And then that those guest meals would be distributed to students who are food insecure so that those students could eat on campus for free. I have a certain amount of um, meal passes. So that we are lucky that this system was set up ahead of time of the pandemic. And so there was already an application process for students to request emergency aid that included the CARES Act money. The food pantry had expanded the food they were offering so that um, with this pandemic where students had less financial resources and had um, did not have access to the resources they normally would have on campus for when the, the campus kind of like shut down or paused. Um, so then that was able to be uh, more helpful, you know, obviously to those students to me like nutritional demands. Um, However, the big however is, is that we're lucky that we had all of that expanded by this time. Um, at this point, though, it's one of those um, 
pieces of employment being dramatically cut off. Like no, now there's no longer funds in students' um, households or um, families' households. So at this point, I'm not sure if we have any indication of how many students are food insecure and hungry at this time. I'm not sure if you have any idea, Mary. Uh, yeah, we have not collected data on mm -hmm. our campus related to food insecurity, mm -hmm. but there was just a national study done by the um, Hope Center for College Community and Justice, and that's led by um, Dr. Sarah Goldrick Raub. And just this morning, she reported that um, there was 58% of students who have been, um, had basic needs in security since COVID began. And that includes students at community colleges and four-year institutions. Mm -hmm. um, I don't recall the specific rates for food insecurity, um, but um, uh, rates for food insecurity and homelessness have been elevated since since COVID, based on based on their data. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the university has put out numbers on the website with regard to the CARES Act, where I think it had stated. Gosh, 20,000 students may um, be eligible for the CARES Act money, and then $8 million was distributed to students within 45 days. So, so tell us so, a little bit more about the CARES Act money. Are students accessing that? Um, well, I guess they have, because <laughs> it's all gone. So, right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so um, yeah, it says here as, June, as of June 25th, NC State University has distributed $8,900,000 basically of the CARES Act emergency grants to 5,000 students. So within 45 days, they served 5,000 students, which um, that's a big indication of, because it's, it's not easy to go through application processes um, and so even in the students that I work with, where I work with a small population of first um, generation low income students, many of the students um, weren't able to or did not meet some of the restrictions for the CARES Act, um, even though they may have been eligible. And so when you have students in crisis and this with the COVID, it put their families in crisis also, um, mm -hmm. it's hard to fill out a form when you're like in crisis mode, survival mode, and your family's in crisis mode and survival mode. Okay, what about how many of, or like what percentage of students uh, that are food and housing insecure have remained on campus? And how many are, have gone elsewhere in the community? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think the important piece too, actually, I forgot to, with regard to the CARES Act um, mm -hmm. money that was available to students who had needs, international students were not able to apply for that money. Mm. Um, they weren't eligible based upon the, the, um, the laws of the CARES Act. So, and that brings to the students remaining on campus and in the, like the, you know, general area is a lot of that is international students um, without the ability to, to return um, to their home country 
um, whether it be allowed or the finances, um, having to stay here to complete their coursework, research, um, et cetera. And, um, and I know I was on a meeting with a person the other day and they said that they were, they could have left, but they were afraid they, that they wouldn't get back in to the country. And um, so that's leaving a, a large group of students without access in even to other community resources, such as like SNAP benefits, they don't qualify for, they, won't, they wouldn't qualify for unemployment. A lot of the other resources that is, that's what's getting people by mm -hmm. right now. Um, and so I know the majority of those staying on campus were international students, but I think there was between six, I think 600 students they had remain in housing. And um, many of those were the students I work with. So where they did not have another option, literally. Um, or with regard to internet or home was not a safe place or home was a place where there's um, five family members living in a one bedroom uh, apartment mm -hmm. um, with no internet access, um, et cetera. And if they were to go home, the, like the fear of if you're going to work again, it would be more likely to work again in Raleigh than to find a job in a new town, like of going home mm -hmm. to that um, town. And even access to resources, many of the students, um, there's more resources available here, especially if you don't have a car, um, than perhaps in their rural community. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the ones that have gone back out into the community or gone home. Um, what have you been hearing about how they're doing and do they, are they getting the resources that they need? Um, I know the main one, and I know Mary and I've talked about this before of the experiences of undergrad and graduate students and faculty and staff now working at home. Um, and so for the students who are in rural areas, the students I've worked with have, uh, one in particular where the internet providers literally do not provide internet to her area. And, and so that's the piece that North Carolina is trying to work on is that urban, um, urban rural divide. And one of those major things is access to Wi-Fi. So we've had, we had to buy students um, the hotspot um, mm -hmm. things, I don't know what they're called, but they were sold out, obviously, once everybody was <laughs> working from home. So that was kind of tough to get those. But even that, she has to sit in a car and do it. So this is like at night doing her work with a hotspot. Um, and they drive a, the car up partway up the driveway so that where she can actually get connection. And so she's sitting in a car doing this at night, her schoolwork. And so, and with them on Zoom, where it does take a higher um, internet speed, and even as this of turning off um, the video, and we're in Raleigh, that when you have video on, it's a less quality of a recording. And so when students are having to be in a Zoom call, um, or a meeting, or even taking a test over Zoom where they have to have their video on at all times so that they can be checked on to see if they're cheating or not, um, then that's extremely hard to do. And then the students don't know, like, if I'm doing this in my car, will it be approved as an appropriate testing place? Or will they think I'm 
using sitting in my car is because I'll have better means of cheating, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit more specifically about these students uh, that you're referring to. So you mentioned that a number of them are international students. Um, in general, what is the percentage of uh, students di uh, disaggregated by race uh, that are food and housing insecure? Uh, black, white, Latinx, Asian, um, just generally, are those numbers available? Yes, we, um, we, do, we do have those numbers for our population here at NC State. This was pre-COVID, we don't have new data, um, but, but before COVID, we did have a disproportionate rate of food insecurity for our African-American students. Um, for white students, the rate of food insecurity was 13%. For our African-American students, it was almost twice that at 24%. And uh, students who identified as um, Hispanic were at 22%. So there is quite a bit of disproportionality there. Um, I'll also note that another group that experiences food insecurity at much, much higher rates uh, or at disproportional rates is students who don't identify as male or female. So we had a small group of those students in our population, but 50% of them um, had experienced food insecurity in the last 30 days. So there are some um, differences across populations that we need to be aware of and, and responsive to. Mm -hmm. And that I think goes, what's important is that goes into the intersectionality of access to resources with um, a wide variety of other groups and communities. So that as um, people tackle, like the community tackles COVID responses and COVID issues and, you know, race issues, and um, exploring like what the university has done in the past with race and how they've acknowledged um, race on the campus and how education and professional development has been um, provided. That's the piece of, there is so much intersectionality. You cannot um, tackle one without the other. They're not isolated um, silos. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and that really needs to be acknowledged um, much more clearly than it has been. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because there will be, which I've seen it everywhere, it's not necessarily NC State, but it's COVID town halls, race town halls. You know, you'll mm -hmm. see the COVID news stories, um, race, um, you know, separate and focusing on the, the um, intersectionality of that and the shared um, experiences of different groups experiencing life very differently. Well, so that leads me to my next question, which is about um, what might be possible, uh, speaking of systems level changes. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and so uh, students have immediate needs that you're working very hard to address, and NC State is addressing. Uh, but moving beyond that, what is your vision for um, what system level changes might 
be necessary and what might work to address these intersectional issues? I'm pulling up the call to action, Mary, if you want to start. Okay. I'll be answering that. Wait, what is this Very good call question. to action? It details out what our system level um, recommendations are. Okay. So from the, from the research um, that has been done by the university, like including focus group surveys, um, lived experiences, and then the research that has been done as to what other universities are doing that is um, found to be effective, and then also what like national organizations, um, like the Hope Center at Temple is is doing. So um, we put together the PAC Essential Steering Committee, a call to action, combining that all, and um, so that that information could be used by the people in the NC State community to um, make or take efforts at a systems level that the members of the steering committee do not have the ability to do. Mm -hmm. So we, um, the PAC Essential Steering Committee has a very specific mission statement and a vision statement. And at this point, I am unaware if the university has detailed a mission statement or a vision statement to address student basic needs. Um, and so that's what we even put forward is like, this is our mission, you know, this is our vision as a, as a volunteer committee to be. And so there are um, five major recommendations and that be that there's no barriers or wrong doors for students who seek resources for food, housing and other basic needs. So that means that every person on campus be um, trained, um, basically be informed and compassionate so that when a, like every touch they have with a student, that student is gonna get information. That they're not, um, and that those students, it's creating a community where students understand and know that each person they come in contact with at NC State is compassionate and informed, that they can share if they um, are struggling without something, that they don't have what they need to be successful at NC State. Where it's in our larger community and society is that if you don't have the resources, that means it's a personal failure, it's a character flaw, you're not working hard enough. Yes. Um, and so there's and then are you the only person on campus that is struggling with housing when you see all of the luxury apartments for student housing? You know, so it appears as though everybody can afford it. And um, <clears throat> so what's going to happen when you go to a university office and say, I can't pay rent, which is, you know, not stated anywhere on like an academic website or, you know, whatnot. Um, so is that like for instructors, they probably see students the most, like face-to-face -face contact. And so are instructors um, informed about the issues facing students and then even having a compassionate response, knowing that they do not have the skill or access to resources or know the absolute solution. 
but if they're informed and compassionate for the student, then they can get that student to the place that that student needs to be. Um, and then analyzing the gaps in resources and services that, well, the gaps and those that are, um, have barriers like that can be removed. Um, so whether it be policies, you know, for instance, and this is with um, regard to like, say for the emergency fund where it's $500 one time while you're in school. And so that is a true emergency. And to state that, well, that emergency fund is addressing a systematic issue of under-resourced students, um, accessing their basic needs to be successful at NC State doesn't match up. So that's like one of those things where this, there's a huge gap in understanding that food pantries are emergency services, that a food pantry has never ended food insecurity for a community. And, um, and so obviously it's important to be focused on the emergency that, the, you know, here and now, making sure a student has um, food or whatnot today, but knowing that that student who doesn't have, who's food insecure or housing insecure today is likely to be food and housing insecure next semester because there are no systematic changes being like, nobody's analyzing their situation and figuring out what do they need in the long run to become food stable, to become housing stable. Mm -hmm. um, and so that needs to be analyzed by, you know, through research, um, having professional trained staff to do that, to have support of administration to make those changes, um, having a university that has a fundraising mission that funds and resources are devoted to analyzing those gaps. Um, and that's the piece too, is analyzing the policies, procedures of a population or uh, impacting a population that has not been considered in the past. So where they'll talk about food and housing insecure, those students can be invisible. Um, the fact is that they're not invisible people are choosing not to see it and um, so or not informed enough to see it or even to look of just assuming most students are the same or if you're in college you have what you need um, and that's you know not true and so of you know like looking at those policies through like different student populations that they have not thought of before. It's again in a situation, you know, rural um, underserved communities without local resources um, and then student like that's now their new student housing um, is in those situations and there's a reason why they didn't take online classes and there is there there's a reason why they didn't stay at home or go to their local community college why like why they came to NC State. Um, so that's the piece of being aware of those students like existing and then being like finding those students, like seeing those students in your community, being able to identify them. Um, and it's hard, you know, because you come with your own lenses. You have everybody has in mind, you know, what a homeless person looks like. And that's 
the students who are struggling with housing insecurity usually do not look like the vision, you know, when somebody thinks about like, oh, what does a homeless person look like? Um, and so that's of being educated and then even like with our research and Mary's research of believing that. And so, cause we've had ex responses that if a student's not sleeping on the street, then they're not really homeless. Like if they're couch surfing, people aren't gonna think that they really need anything. Um, and so that's the piece is there's a difference between choosing to couch surf and being forced to couch surf. Um, one, of, one of the things that our steering committee is working on pretty diligently right now is um, finding ways for there to be stronger connections between our campus and the larger community. We know that there are significant resources for students in the community um, through public and private uh, resources. And our students are typically not accessing those resources for a variety of, of legitimate reasons. Um, and what we're really doing is, is leaving resources on the table that our students should have access to and that they're eligible for. Um, but we don't currently have a, um, an entity that's responsible for making those connections with potential resources, sustaining those resources over time, and ensuring that our students are connected and that there's follow through. So one of our efforts right now is to establish that entity on our campus um, that, that can do that proactive reaching out to students that Sarah's talking about and ensure they're connected to the resources that they should have access to. Um, and, and forming those, those linkages. We know that there are a lot of agencies in Wake County that want to serve our students, um, but we don't currently have a mechanism to make that happen. So that's one of our, that's one of our current goals. Mm -hmm. And the other piece too is that in situations like with COVID is that where the entire family, like the, the support system that a student does have doesn't have enough and so that may be the student's responsibility to serve their family and so even if a the awareness and access to community resources will definitely assist the student because they need as many resources as possible but also if they're best able to support their family that in their household so that because now they're a per, you know a member of that household the better they are able to focus on their schoolwork um, and not having to get a second, third job, um, et cetera. And that's a huge stressor is when your family is struggling. Great point, Sarah. And even, even before COVID and, and long after COVID, many of the students who are under resources are, are closely connected to their families in terms of finances. And so I think to be successful, in, um, in helping these students is to, to keep in mind that they are part of their family, their, their immediate family and their extended family. Yeah, and a common reason um, where first-generation low-income students will say why they're earning their college degree is to better serve and provide for their family. That's in the top two reasons. Um, yeah, and that's for NC State to be a national leader in um, resolving student food and housing 
security. And that is a piece that is very, very doable. In the um, activities that Mary and I have had and other members of the steering committee working nationally with other universities or doing this work and being um, as trying to be as, as informed as possible, there are things that NC State community members are doing that are above and beyond what's being done nationally. And so, for instance, um, there's faculty members who are doing amazing work as to best serving the students and uh, acknowledging and understanding that their part of being an instructor is the whole student so that they are very, very aware is that if the student is food or housing insecure, there's no way they can be as successful as possible in that course. And so, like you would address a um, lack of, um, say, a healthcare need that obviously is going to impact a person's ability on certain days, you know, or different things, um, also does not being able to eat or not having a stable place to stay. Um, and so, again, of having for NC State to be a national leader to do that, the the university um, of kind of what do I want to say? It's it's like an overarching, so that everything that's being done in all of these different parts of campus by these all these different people is that it's coordinated and directed to um, one place that it's NC State that is contributing not only to their students but also to the um, expansion of knowledge of the the and understanding of this problem and also um, designing different ways to best serve this population. So we have a very motivated fundraising base. Um, there are a lot of um, people in the community who definitely understand the experiences of an under-resourced student and that sometimes they just need a little, you know, help to get over a hump um, to earn that degree, that their success at NC State has nothing to do um, has all to do, you know, with their, like, they're already committed to their degree program, they're very able, um, and they're so committed um, to NC State that they're willing to go without food and housing to stay here. And, um, and so that's the piece of, again, coordination of fundraising, um, the uh, development of the most effective um, services and resources, um, the the time and effort and expertise to fully study the university um, community and expanding it to even the the county and state resources available. So, well, thank you so much, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hunger in North Carolina, presented by the North Carolina Alliance for Health and Moms Rising.